It's time for Blessed to Play on EWTN Radio, uncovering the role that faith plays in the lives of sports professionals from around the country. And now, here's your host, Ron Meyer. Fire score! My guest today is Michael Orkman. He's a retired telecom and sports executive turned best-selling author of the book Opening Day 50 for 50. Michael did not miss one opening day in Major League Baseball for 50 years. What stopped the streak was the COVID nationwide lockdown. Here to talk about 50 for 50 is the best-selling author, Michael Ortman. Michael, thanks for joining us. Ron, it is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, this is such an interesting book, and you know your, your dad, Roundy, uh, took you to these uh, opening days early on in your life, but the interesting part of it is that he was not a baseball aficionado or had much interest in the game of baseball. He liked big events. Um, he was a lawyer. He was passionate about golf. But yet, somehow, you guys made the connection starting going to opening days. Tell us how that came to fruition. Well, so I was the youngest of six children. There was a big age gap between my dad and I, and he knew I loved baseball. And he uh, pulled me out of school one day at Annunciation, and off to opening day we went in the spring of 1970. Because he knew I loved it. He, I had gone to a game the previous year, 1969, a few games. Uh, and off to opening day we went. The, in Washington in those days, opening day was when the president of the United States would come out and throw out the first pitch. And it was a sellout. It was a big event, which was his kind of thing. But it was baseball. It was my kind of thing. And it was a, a wonderful father-son thing. Problem was, Ron, after two years, they took my team away. And they became the Texas mm-hmm. Rangers. And so we had to travel up to Baltimore for a few years and get to know the uh, the Orioles. But that's how the streak got started with my dad way back when. So the streak basically was confined to three cities, D.C. to Baltimore to Chicago. But when did the streak start to become a streak for the Ortmans? Well, it, it's interesting. There were probably three times it should have been derailed in the first 15 years. Obviously, when they took the team away, I think I got home from Mass that Sunday. And my dad said, this is 1972 now, and said, why don't we go to opening day? And I said, what are you talking about, Dad? You know, my team's gone. <laughs> it should have been derailed. But uh, he said, let's go to Baltimore. We figured it out. The second was when I left to college, Notre Dame. I, it was a baseball team within 100 miles. I figured it was over. <laughs> and this is still less than 10 years in. Um, but I found a friend who said, let's, my, he was a White Sox fan, and off to Chicago we went and managed to hold it together for those four years. And then if you jump to 1985, mm-hmm. my wife was in the hospital giving the birth to the first of our six children. And um, he was a few days old. She had to go back into surgery. And the next day was opening day. I, going to opening day was the furthest thing from my mind. It, it should have been over. But surgery went well. My mother-in-law came over and said, I got this. You go to work. Because the company I was working for at the time was struggling. And, and she thought that's where I belonged. I work in the morning an opening day in the afternoon. <laughs> and so it held together for about 15 years, at which point now it became a ritual. And that's when I'd say probably about 1980, 85, 86, it was work. Yeah, because I was in the business for about 10 years. And uh, and after that, it just became an annual right of spring, a ritual. Now, when you're at the University of Notre Dame, you had uh, you obviously went to Wrigley and or Comiskey Park. And that, that's a hot ticket for a college student. How did you manage to get your hands on a ticket? I don't remember. <laughs> I I know that my friend Craig Cheval was uh, a big White Sox fan and going to White Sox games for years. And I'm sure it was a, it became a hotter ticket later. I don't know that it was that hot a ticket, Ron, in 1979. The Chicago White Sox were horrible. Mm-hmm. And on opening day that year, they were playing the expansion or second second year of existence, the Toronto Blue Jays. 
And the, the team was so bad that year that the owner, uh, Bill Vec, said, we were so bad today, please come back tomorrow and we'll let you come for free. <laughs> so I can't imagine tickets at Comiskey Park in 1979, which was the 60th anniversary year of the Black Sox scandal, I might add. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine tickets were that hard to come by. Now, we fell in love with Harry Carey while with the White Sox. He was the announcer for the White Sox of the south side of Chicago at the time. Mm -hmm. When he moved to the north side, I wanted to follow him. My friend Craig was not a Cubs fan and would not go. So I had to find another Notre Dame friend to to go to Wrigley Field for 1982. But uh, I truly don't remember how we got those tickets. Bust to play Ron Meyer chatting today with Michael Ortman. He's the author of the book, Opening Day 50 for 50. And uh, Michael, there's some... uh, you know, memories that go into these chapters and your your recollection of those days, but a lot of it has come with a lot of research, and uh, you were a frequent visitor to Baseball Reference, I see. Uh, talk about how many hours you put in to reference all these days and to build all these anecdotes and bring it all together in these chapters. Well, you know, one of the benefits of the COVID pandemic for us personally was working from home. You take four hours of commute out of every day, and you are now working from home. I was able to pivot and convert that to, to research time and writing time. We probably spent about a year researching and writing, and every day it was a new adventure into a, you know, I, I, some mornings I would wake up with a very clear vision of what that chapter was going to be about. I'd made this big spreadsheet and had lots of details in it that I remembered. And there were other years that were just a blank canvas. I know I was there, but I don't remember any details. So I would start looking at baseballreference.com. I'd look at the box score. I'd look into newspaper archives. I might find a sentence that jarred my memory to say, oh, wait a minute, I need to research this. And you'd go into other places like the Society of American Baseball Research and, and other resources. And um, a story would come together that made perfect sense, was very credible, and then friends would remind me of other details that I'd forgotten. And, and that's how the, each chapter came about. Well, let's talk about one of these chapters I found uh, interesting, especially from a Catholic perspective. It's opening day 1975, and I'll bring you back to Camden Yards, where Collier Stremski of the Red Sox, obviously a Hall of Famer. There was a number of Hall of Famers that were on the field that day and in the dugout, including Earl Weaver, Brooks Robinson, and Jim Rice. But there was a Father Joe Radkowski who would give uh, – Carly Estremsky, some good advice along with his dad. In fact, he enrolled at your alma mater, the University of Notre Dame. He did. So uh, the Red Sox beat the Orioles that day on opening day 1975 on a 12th inning home run by Carly Estremsky. And uh, it was also the day that um, Tony Canigliaro attempted his second and final comeback. So this was a very special baseball game for people in New England uh, listening to the game on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, but I took that opportunity since... Yaz had such a big day to tell a story of Carl Yastrzemski's connection to Father Joe. Uh, in his autobiography, Yaz, uh, Carl tells very firsthand the story of how he was being recruited by many colleges to play baseball. Uh, he was being also recruited by some major league teams. But Father Joe was, uh, according to Carl, a great baseball player in his own right, and he probably would have been a major league ball player had he not chosen the priesthood. And uh, he and Carl Sr. were Carl Jr.'s called the kitchen cabinet. They were his advisors that called the shots. And uh, Carl would do what his father, who's an obedient lad, and he did what his dad told him to do. And he said, unless we get a $100,000 offer, which in those days was almost unheard of, Mm -hmm. you're going to go to Notre Dame if Father Joe can arrange it. (laughs) And he was getting great scholarship offers, very aggressive, especially by today's standards. In those days, there weren't rules against 
giving kids cars and apartments and wardrobes and money. Um, and this was all being thrown at young Carl from other schools. Um, but by the fall, uh, Notre Dame had made him an offer to come there and play baseball, and off he went. And that wasn't exactly Carl's first choice, but he's played there for his freshman year and just was by far the best baseball player Notre Dame had in that era. Uh, and he eventually signed with the Red Sox. Very influential in that process and in that decision. Yeah, and everything turned out uh, grand for Yaz indeed being in the Hall of Fame. Now, Mike, I have to ask you about these ceremonial first pitches at these uh, opening days with the presidents. And uh, you've seen a number of presidents throughout the first pitch. So I'm going to I have to ask you, who had the best uh, wind up, the best accuracy? Who had the best ceremonial first pitch at opening day? Well, I I rank them in one chapter to all the presidents, the ones I saw and even the ones that we can all see on YouTube. But George W. Bush certainly has to rank number one, not just because of the confidence with which he strode out to the mound, both at RFK Stadium when baseball returned in 2005 and then the grand opening of Nationals Park in 2008. Both times he was uh, on the hill to throw the first pitch, wore Nationals gear, respected the fans, perfect strike both times. But you also, we all remember people of a certain age, probably the most important ceremonial first pitch a president has ever thrown. And that was when President Bush went to the mound. Yeah, see, I would think uh, Barack Obama would have the best pitch because he was athletic. He was a lefty. He was a southpaw. And he, he you know, same, his politics uh, coincided with his, his arm. But, but it was George Bush who, in your estimation, and you have empirical evidence you were there, Mike, who uh, was the best uh, first pitch president uh, to throw out the ball. So that's interesting. I want to move ahead to uh, 1993 at uh, Camden Yards. And this is interesting because obviously you going to Camden Yards to see a number of opening days, especially before the the Nats came to town. There was a a fellow by the name of Cal Ripken Jr. there who had quite a streak in and of itself and uh, will never be broken, as we know. But this particular opening day in 1993, him and his brother Billy were separated. Billy got traded to the uh, Texas Rangers. And Cal and Billy played in the middle of the infield for 600 games. But as uh, as you know, when uh, they introduced the lineups, uh, the full lineups before each opening day, there's uh, an appreciation from the fans. And uh, someone got uh, a larger applause. Let's put it that way. Who was that? And both brothers noticed, too. Uh, yes, when, tech, when Bill Ripken returned to Oriole Park in 1993 as a member of the Texas Rangers, It not only marked the first time brothers Cal and Bill had been on opposite teams, but it was also the first time their dad wasn't in the dugout in Baltimore. And that was hard for the whole family. So they had to get through this. But as the Texas Rangers are introduced and they get to Bill Ripken, the fans in Baltimore gave them a thunderous standing ovation, far louder than what Cal got that day. And uh, it was special for both of them. I mean, it really, it showed how much they appreciated the way Bill played when he was in Baltimore and, and, and Cal appreciated it too. Talk about the communal aspect, the uh, uh, the pride of a city when it comes out for opening day. Has that been lost as years have gone on? Uh, you've been there for 50 of them. Has it waned or is it the excitement still present? I think in some respects the excitement's grown, especially this year as we all return to quote-unquote normal. Mm-hmm. I went to three different opening days this year. Um, went to Philadelphia. It was just explosive. Um, similarly, in Washington, the weather was terrible and the team's down, but uh, they even moved the game back three hours, and but the fans turned out three hours later and and uh, had that the, the hoopla around opening day, Ron, with the 
flag across the outfield with a big national anthem and some sort of ceremonial first pitch and the military flyover. It's just and the introduction of all those players that you just mentioned. It just makes it special. Even in Baltimore, where the team is also rebuilding, um, there was a big crowd on opening day. Well, not sold out, but I think it's been so long for us. People are just starting to ease back into it. And uh, it, it grew over the years. If you go through one of the key stats I put for each and every chapter was the attendance. And in the 70s in Baltimore at Memorial Stadium, uh, attendance was okay, but it wasn't sold out every game. That changed in the 80s. And then as they moved to Oriole Park in the 90s, it just became the hottest ticket in town. Uh, especially the grand opening of Royal Park in 1992. It, tickets were going for 10 or 15 times face value. It was just that big a day. All right, we're going to step out on the other side. We're going to continue our discussion with Michael Ortman. He's the author of the book Opening Day 5450, When Blessed to Play Returns, after this. By providing quality programming faithful to the teachings of the Catholic Church, EWTN is television that viewers can trust. Whether it's films, documentaries, news coverage, lively discussion shows, or kids' programs, we highlight the truth that is the eternal word. For a complete schedule of EWTN television programs, visit EWTN.com and click TV. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. A prayer for the holy souls in purgatory. God, our Creator and Redeemer, by your power, Christ conquered death and returned to you in glory. May all your people who have gone before us in faith share his victory and enjoy the vision of your glory forever. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. More to life. Women of Christ. Take two with Jerry and Debbie. No one does Catholic radio like EWTN. Welcome back to Blessed to Play. Ron Meyer joined today by Michael Ortman, a best-selling author of the book Opening Day 5450, attended 50 opening days in 50 years. How about that? And only a pandemic by the name of COVID could stop Mike from continuing that uh, that feat, if you will. Mike, I want to talk about uh, some of the things that the man you are. Uh, we know that you're a great author, a best-selling author, but some of the, the works that you have taken on, service-related, I know your faith drives you. Maybe you could talk about that, how your faith leads you to these acts of service. Both my wife Kate and I were raised Roman Catholic and went to Catholic high schools and college and have a core values installed in us by our parents. And we both, uh, she's the second oldest of six children. I'm the youngest of six children. And when we got married, we embarked on a journey to have children of our own. We uh, raised three wonderful boys um, and then started adopting children. Uh, We've actually started foster parenting. And and that was very difficult because at the end of that, you have to give it back. That that emotional trauma was very difficult. But these are young children that needed homes, and we had enough love in our home and in our hearts to, to bring them in. And so we brought in uh, Greg and then later Mary and Teresa and uh, raised three wonderful adopted children as well. Yeah, let's talk about Teresa. And we, you talk in the book about bumps in the road, and this is one of the bumps in the road where you're involved with a organization, Baltimore Bus Stop Breakfast, a service for recovering addicts. In fact, 
You unfortunately lost your daughter, Teresa, to an overdose at age 23, and you got involved with, you know, helping or reaching out to recovering addicts. And uh, you would use a Davy Martinez uh, phrase, the, uh, the, the Nats manager, one day at a time. You took that on as kind of a way of uh, giving hope to these uh, recovering addicts. But talk about your work with Bus Stop Breakfast and the impetus behind that. So when Teresa passed away, we often look, seek things we can do at that moment in time in lieu of flowers. Uh, these flowers disappear quickly, but what can we do that's more lasting? And many of our friends generously donated to a fund at Mount Calvary Catholic Church in Baltimore that we designated, Father Al Sharbuck, the pastor there. Uh, they have a very simple breakfast. Uh, they were doing it once a month, and because of Teresa's funding opportunity, they were able to expand it to feed a simple breakfast to recovering addicts who are getting off the bus on their way to the methadone clinic across the street. And it's a sandwich, it's a cup of coffee, and most importantly, Ron, it's fellowship and conversation. Mm-hmm. I tell the story in the book um, about meeting a, a man named Greg who was a recovering addict. And I, I say that he really, you know, David Martinez talked about going 1-0. That's really all you can do as a baseball team is just win today's game and go back out tomorrow and win that game. And don't worry about winning seven in a row. Don't worry about what other teams are doing. Just go one and oh. And I remember encountering this man, Greg, who had been in recovery for 12 years. I naively said to him, hey, I bet you take life a day at a time. And he said, no, I, a lot can happen in a day. I take it one step at a time. Mm. <laughs> and he gave a whole new meaning to what it means to go one and oh. Just focus on what you have to do now to move to the next step. And that's so important in life and in baseball and, and trying to overcome our difficulties. And Nats manager Davey Martinez kind of used this with the uh, World Championship team in 2019. In fact, it was one of the worst teams in baseball at the end of May. I believe they were 19 and 51, the fourth worst record. But he talked about that one day at a time approach, you know, go through those bumpy roads. And that resonated with the players, obviously. And there was even a Monsignor Stephen Rossetti who would use Davey's uh, life lessons, if you will, in his homily. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so they were, the Nationals were 50 games in to the season. They were 19-31. And keep in mind, no team in the history of professional sports had ever come back from that bad a 50-game start mm-hmm. and won a championship. But Davey had faith in this team. He had a lot of talent on this team. And he just wanted them to persevere one day at a time. So he gave them three mantras. One was go 1-0, and as we just talked about. The second, as you just referenced, is just stay in the fight. And baseball is a wonderful sport in that it doesn't have a clock. And as Yogi Berra once said, it isn't over until it's over. <laughs> and you can stay in the fight. It was what, what Davey said, told his players, stay in the fight. Don't give up. Stay in the fight. Stay in every at-bat. Stay in every inning. Stay in every game. Stay in the fight. And this worked. And it caught on. And as it got to the end of the season, uh, as you said, Monsignor Rossetti, he's the team chaplain. He said mass for the team every Sunday. And on the last day of the regular season, he, he really implored the team. He says, you know, everyone else gave up on you. But you didn't give up on yourselves because you stayed in the fight. And that's not just a great saying for a baseball season. That's a great saying for life, because we all have hard times. Mm-hmm. And uh, and how we deal with that and how we've come that uh, is important. He said, you never gave up hope, even when so many others have given up on you. And he told the team, you know, we all have dark times in our lives, but we all need to stay in the fight. It's a good motto for life, uh, and you're going to be winners regardless. 
Yeah, good words there for sure. Blessed to play Ron Meyer chatting with Michael Ortman, the author of the book Opening Day 50 for 50. Had some great endorsements in this book. Tim Kirchin of ESPN, Phil Wood, broadcaster, noted baseball historian. Uh, Mike, talk about just the book, how it you know became a bestseller, but you did a number of interviews, I know, on Major League Baseball Network, a number of podcasts. Did this take you by surprise? Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, this was a self-published book. I truly had no idea if anyone was going to buy it or read it. Um, but the idea, people hadn't even read the words yet, but the idea of 50 straight opening days led to so much conversation that I had the opportunity to do a lot of TV and radio interviews and some podcasts like this one. And um, the buzz got very high. And then um, there was a brief three-day promotional campaign online. And we woke up last or two weeks ago on a Wednesday, and there it was, the number one bestseller on Amazon in our category in under baseball history. So it was just a great honor and a great thrill. Um, and I hope people are enjoying reading it and, and we'll give us some feedback. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll continue that success for sure. So if you were going to pinpoint one opening day that was most special to you, what would it be? 2005, uh, when baseball returned to Washington, D.C. I'll tell you, Ron, when I started writing this book, I, I thought it was going to be more like a chicken soup for the soul. Here's 50 stories. Read them in any order you want. And I got about halfway through it, and I realized this was that, yes, but it was also the story of a little boy who lost his baseball team. And he, you know, the thing at the time was the most important thing in the world to me. And they went to Texas, and I, I wandered in the desert, if you will, for 33 years looking for that, that, you know, that void filled in my life. Uh, and I, I was a fan of the Texas Rangers for a time, the White Sox, as we talked about, and the Orioles for 20 years. But there was still a hole. And when baseball returned to Washington, D.C. in 2005, that particular opening day or opening night was just so special. And the, the pregame ceremony reconnected us with that horrible night in 1971 when the team played its last game. The Washington Senators did. They brought back a bunch of the players. And it, it was just very fulfilling. Now, your dad, Roundy, didn't have a particular interest for baseball, but you do, and you have sons. So are you passing that down to your sons and enjoying going to games with them? Yeah, well, yes, and uh, I mean, grandsons. I, the, the, I won't say the idea for the book, but in 2015, when I took my oldest grandson, Johnny, to opening day, I made a list. I figured, you know, at that point, it was 45 straight or something, and I said, let's start making a list of all the games I've been to and see what I can remember. That eventually became the table of contents of the book. But I had taken his dad to Cal Ripken's historic 21-31 game. I took my son Brad to many games. Greg probably, he's our oldest adopted son. Greg's probably the biggest Oriole fan I know. Um, he got plenty of Cal moments and, and Oriole moments over the years. So yes, I even take both of my daughters to sporting events over the years. Mary went to that historic game in 05 with us and and Teresa had her share of opportunities at RFK Stadium and other football games and things like that. So our kids were very much part of going to games with us. And now their kids are starting to go to games. So when I realized we had four generations who participated in this annual Rite of Spring, mm -hmm. it's time to start making a list and maybe thinking about a book. Now, how about the reaction of the players themselves? I know if you go to your website, uh, Cal Ripken Jr. wrote a, a little bit, uh, some good words for you. But a, a number of players have been introduced to this book. What is their reaction as a whole? Yeah, very positive, because opening day is special for them, too. I had a nice opportunity last year to sit down with Al Bumbry, who's the subject of Chapter 1978. He was a Baltimore Oriole for 14 years. He's in the Orioles Hall of Fame. He was the 1973 American League Rookie of the Year. And, and Al 
said, you know, opening day was always special for us as a player, always, because spring training was over. We got to go in front of a big crowd. It was sold out. He said, but to him, the most memorable opening day, not unlike the Bill Ripken story we just talked about a few minutes ago, was when he came back to Baltimore as a coach for the Boston Red Sox and got introduced and got a bigger ovation that day than Cal and Frank Robinson. And his kid, the players on the Boston team said to him, that doesn't even happen at Fenway Park. How did you do that? But it, it is so special to the players, opening day is, um, even just two weeks ago when Max Scherzer came back on opening day as a member of the New York Mets, he was introduced to the crowd in Washington. There was a big video display and standing ovation. You, you just don't do that on a regular season, any other regular season game, but you can do things like that on opening day. In fact, you got to meet Al Bummery when you were a kid, when the Texas Rangers uh, came to Memorial Stadium and he came to the rails to, uh, to greet you. <laughs> well, that was a make good. See if you, <laughs> very embarrassing story that we tell in 78, but, uh, truly, in 1973, my parents took me down to Dogger, Virginia, to meet Lucille Keys, who was the woman who cared for my siblings when my mother was in the hospital giving birth to me in 1960. And so we drove all the way down to Dogger, Virginia. I'm 12 years old and I'm bored. And Mrs. Keys says, you need to meet my neighbor. Her son is a Major League Baseball player. And I said, oh, really? And perked up. And this woman comes in and introduced herself. And I said, what's your son's name? And she says, Alonzo Bumbry. And with all the grace and dignity of a stupid 12 year old said he must not be very good i've never heard of him <laughs> oh boy was i wrong i come to find out that he's a pretty good player and in fact that year he became the american league rookie of the year <laughs> so last i reached out to al while writing the book to reconstruct that story and he remembered mrs keys and what a great cook she was we really had a great conversation yes i went as you point out, I went out into a game in 73 and had my picture at the railing with, with Al. Mm -hmm. I reached back out to him last year. And I said, could we recreate that photo? And he said, sure. So 48 years apart at the same place, wearing roughly the same thing, the two of us are pictured side by side on the book's companion website. Yeah, that's great stuff. And uh, it ends to who's Al. You definitely know who Al is now. <laughs> Do now. <laughs> Well, Michael Orman has been our guest. Uh, opening Day 50 for 50 is the book. Uh, go to Amazon or Barnes & Nobles and get yourself a copy. Or you could just go to openingday5050.com to learn more. And, Mike, thanks so much. This has been a, a joy to reconnect with you and to to read, these, uh, to read the book. And I'm so impressed with all the research that went into this. And I think our listeners will be as well if they go out and purchase the book, Opening Day 50 for 50. Thanks so much. I do appreciate the time. Ron, thank you for having me. Hey, Blessed to Play fans, check us out on the web at blessedtoplay.com. That's blessed, the number two play.com. You can like us on Facebook and follow the show on Twitter at Blessed to Play. For Michael Ortman, I'm Ron Meyer. We'll catch you next time right here on Blessed to Play. You've been listening to Blessed to Play with host Ron Meyer on the EWTN Global Catholic Network. If you have a question or comment about today's show, feel free to email us at info at blessedtoplay.com. That's blessed, the number two, play.com. You can also connect with the show on the web at www.blessedtoplay.com. Again, that's blessed, the number two, play.com. Join us again next time for Blessed to Play on the EWTN Global Catholic Network.